So we're going to be looking at the last five, six verses of the book of Hebrews, and I welcome you to stand as we conclude uh, this book together. We stand to display our submission. We want to hear God as he speaks to us. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> sure. Uh, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, send your greetings. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. God, this is your word. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, it would sink deep into our hearts. Father, transform us by it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So with this passage, it's the conclusion of this great letter where Jesus has been emphasized. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than uh, uh, Moses and Joshua and the angels and the high priests. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus and his high priestly work, meaning the sacrifice of Christ and him representing us before the Father... We have a firm and certain foundation, a firm and certain hope, a firm and certain salvation. And then the writer of Hebrews speaks to people that are in the middle of persecution, and he says, hold on, continue in the faith, don't give up, continue to look at Jesus. Even in the midst of that persecution and that suffering, pay much closer attention to Jesus, Consider him so that you don't drift, so that your heart doesn't become hard, so that you don't walk away from the living God. And at, at the last ver a few verses that we looked at, 22 to 25, uh, th these verses ser serve just as the closing remarks of a letter, much like other letters in the New Testament. And he says to bear with uh, this, this word of exhortation, endure it, be patient with it, uh, but accept it nonetheless. Uh, and that word of exhortation is really the word of encouragement. But if you read through the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of stark words in here. And so not always is encouragement the most uplifting, happy, happy, joy, joy kind of encouragement. Sometimes the word of encouragement or moving us along that we need uh, is a strong possible warning. Uh, and so bear with this word of exhortation as he wrote briefly. And that I, I chuckled because, I, and I think he says briefly because he had a lot more to say. He said that in his letter. I have more to say on this, but I don't have time. And, uh, and so imagine if he did, uh, but that's all right. But then he says, and he sends greetings from Timothy, uh, most likely the Timothy mentioned in other letters. This is why some say that Paul wrote uh, Hebrews, yet Paul never referred to him as a friend. He referred to him as a son. 
Um, but he was released from prison. It's the only mention of Timothy being in prison. Greet your leaders and all the saints. That's everybody that, who, who knows Christ. And the people in Italy that know Christ, they send their greetings. And so he kind of is just concluding this letter. Basically, God is at work elsewhere. Don't we need to hear that? We need to hear that God's work is far bigger than Irmo and the Columbia area. Praise God for that, right? Uh, that we get to hear God doing amazing things in other areas, and then he ends with grace be with all of you. It's kind of like our God bless uh, as we conclude our uh, letters or a greeting to somebody. And we're going to focus our time on verses 20 to 21. And this is a fairly complex complex sentence. Lots of prepositional phrases, many modifiers, just enough where if you're reading through it, you're like, I really don't know what he's trying to say. Uh, There's enough going on in that sentence. In your bulletin on the screen, there's going to be a diagram of these sentences. You can't read it if it's on the screen uh, in that. So uh, I turn you to your bulletin. We are going to zoom in. But big picture, this is what's going on. Uh, And um, this is not the most technical diagram of the sentence. Uh, I know I left prepositional phrases in the main part of the sentence, but... uh, but, but for us to get a, a real understanding, let me boil this sentence down. It's the, it's the stuff in the blue. Uh, now, may the God of peace equip you with everything good, period. And then to him or to whom be glory forever and ever. May the God of peace equip you with everything good. Okay, so we're going to kind of break that down. We're going to zoom in to that idea of may the God of peace. Okay, and, and so there's, there's three different modifiers or, or descriptive terms of this phrase. And so the, the idea, don't get too carried away with the God of peace. That's a common way to end letters. Paul did it. And that's why some say this is Paul. Uh, Paul uses it in Romans 15, uh, in 1 Thessalonians and others. Um, It it really is uh, just a a way of, you know, may God bless you. Um, But why would he say, may the God of peace, may God bless you, why would he say that? The rest of that phrase is the basis of, for the request. So may the God, so who are we speaking of? The God of peace. What did he do? What's the, the basis that we could actually pray to him and ask him to be one who is at work in people's lives is because he is the God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Okay, just in case you're wondering, this reads straight down the page according to uh, this verse. It's just... Uh, right and left based on the logic of what it's doing. So uh, now may the God of peace, he's the one who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. You know, you want a resume, you want qualifications for what God is doing, here's the resurrection. Okay, we can pray to God, ask God to move in each other's lives. Why? Because he rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. The same power that took a dead man and had him walk out of the tomb is the same power, the same God that we are praying to that he would work in our friends and family. That's that's wonderful on one hand and it's sobering on the other. It's great that the power of God that would bring the dead back to life is at work. 
it's sobering that it takes the power of God who brings the dead back to life to work in our hearts, our family's hearts, and our friends' hearts. So don't fool yourself. Keith, don't fool yourself that what we do is, uh, has the effectiveness and the power to change lives. Uh, it, anything we do must be a part of the power of God to be effective at all. And that's why anything we do, we are praying that God would be the one that's at work. So that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So this is the same God. And how did he raise Jesus is by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay, that's interesting that he rose Jesus or raised Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. Uh, didn't he die first and then rise? Uh, ultimately, it's that the resurrection, we looked at this many years ago in Romans, Romans 4, uh, that the resurrection proves that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. Because uh, by, by, by having Jesus rise from the dead, there is no more dying that needs to occur. No more death is needed. No more payment for, for sin. No more blood is to be shed. Not his anymore and not yours if you are in Christ. You have a firm and certain hope. But it's not in your merit. It's in the death, the blood, and the resurrection, the new life of Christ. It is that dying and rising of Christ that is uh, the gospel. The death and resurrection of Christ is the gospel. And so when Jesus says, follow me, what are we following him into? Death and resurrection. Now, it might not be the, the ultimate end, kind of I draw my last breath kind of death, but it, doesn't he say in, in Matthew and in Mark that if you come after me, you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? That we die to so much that we call life. So many ways that we trust in our success, our ability, our stuff, our things, relationships. He is saying die to what you trust in so that he can raise you from the death of that and give you new life. It's the dying, rising of Jesus. You know, we, we kind of picked on what would Jesus do bracelets a couple weeks ago. Well, what would Jesus do? He would die, and then he would rise again. It's not the example of, all right, what decision would Jesus make? He would be one that is in the midst of dying and rising. So to follow him, we die to ourselves. But what's great is that it's not just that God had Jesus die and rise, it was that he is the great shepherd of the sheep, that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the shepherd, in caring for his sheep, and we're the sheep, uh, in caring for his sheep, he asks this, what is needed for those sheep? What is necessary for them to survive and thrive? What's most beneficial to them? That's what the shepherd does. And Jesus said, and Jesus knew that he had to die for his sheep so that we might have life. And so not only is he the shepherd that dies, but what does a shepherd do? Okay, more, more often, the shepherd is leading and guiding and feeding and protecting and caring for and speaking to and calling to the sheep. That's what the shepherd 
is doing. So the life of God's people, when we pray to the God, we pray to God who can raise the dead. And we're praying that he would be at work in our, in our lives and our friends and our family. We are praying that the great shepherd would move according to what he knows that we need. Have you ever prayed for something? And then you realize, wow, I'm glad God didn't give me that. Okay? I would say the timing of our building and the timing of Todd and Chrissy coming, praise God, he didn't give it when we started praying. That God was doing an amazing work of, of uh, just his word kind of becoming central. A, a work of uh, just real healing in the midst of who we are. Thank God that he's the shepherd and we're not. He's going to lead. He's going to give. He's going to provide. He's going to answer when it is beneficial. So we're praying to the God who is the one who raises the dead and the shepherd of the sheep. I've used uh, many things from Paul Miller's A Praying Life before, uh, and there's one section in his book where he talks about, um, uh-oh, go back to that, to one, there you go, where he talks about what would Psalm 23 be without the shepherd? <laughs> okay, what would Psalm 23, the, the shepherd psalm, be without a shepherd? Basically, what would life look like uh, if you didn't have a shepherd. It would read something like this. My, I shall be in want. Me, me, my soul, me. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear me, me, me in the presence of my enemies. My head, my cup, me, all the days of my life, I. That's how life would read without a shepherd. That's how life would read if we were God and he is not. But yet, that's not the depiction of what we live. Uh, uh, Paul Miller goes on. He says, we are left um, obsessing over our wants, paralyzed by our fears. Uh, with, uh, with the good shepherd gone, we are alone in an evil world. Because of the gospel, he says, good news of God's self-substituting sacrifice on our behalf in Jesus, we can walk through this sin-sick, broken world with the shepherd not by ourselves or obsessed with ourselves we are not alone in the valleys and then he goes to this he says both the child meaning the son or daughter of god both the child and the cynic walk through the valley of the shadow of death the cynic focuses on the darkness the child focuses on the shepherd Now may the God of peace, who brought back again the Lord Jesus from the dead, uh, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good. So God works through the death and the resurrection of Christ, and he will equip you to follow Christ. So... Not only is the resurrection and the death resurrection the power by which he's at work, it's also the pattern. Get that a little alliteration, that was free. Uh, the power and the pattern of God's work is the death and the resurrection 
of Christ. He's the good shepherd. And so he might actually bring you through the valley of the shadow of death so that his glory might be on display in his resurrecting power. But that's not how we want God to work, is it? We would rather him just put us on firm footing and just let us go. But that's not the goodness of God. That's not even the gospel. It is we share in the sufferings of Christ so that we might share in his resurrection as well. There's no other way. It is the gospel. He's the good shepherd and he knows that. And so he says, uh, that the prayer is that may the God, of, the God of peace equip us. What's great is, uh, but for what purpose does he equip us? Okay, may he equip you, why? That you may do his will, that he would work in us what is pleasing in his sight. The purpose of God equipping you and God equipping me, uh, God, the idea of equipping is, is kind of training, building up, completing us. Uh, the, the idea of him equipping is his will his pleasure, and his glory. But what's beautiful is if you think of that, that according, uh, that, that he's at work uh, to what's pleasing in his sight, that he's equipping us, the idea of equipping means that you and I are incomplete. Often we walk in here trying to hide our incompleteness, but that's the gospel. Come with your incompleteness before a God who can raise the dead. That's the gospel. So when we hide our incompleteness, we are shortcutting the gospel. Uh, And so the idea of him equipping us, that's the design of God. Yes, you have a firm salvation, yet he will transform you over the course of your life to be more and more like Christ. Firm salvation Uh, kind of gradual transforming work. He is working in us, and so he would equip us with everything good. Here's the reality, is that our best is found in his will for our life. That sounds great in a classroom. That sounds great in a theology class, until you find yourself testing positive with cancer, until you lose your job, until a relationship breaks, until we face uh, very difficult things, until we face a decision that would be easier to not follow God. That our best is found in his will for our life, that we may do his will, that we may follow God in living in this world, that our best is found in the pleasure of God, not even our own pleasure. That's sobering especially in a pleasure-seeking culture like ours. It's just innumerable, the options of pleasure that are in front of us. His pleasure, not our own. Yet, we think God gives us good things so that we can live the life that we want. And that's simply not how God gives good things. He equips us so that we can live for him, and in doing so, we find the life that we so deeply desire. 
So back in the late 60s, there was a man named Doug Nichols. He was doing mission work in India, and he actually hadn't learned the language yet. Uh, But early on in his time there, he contracted tuberculosis. And uh, back then, they they would commit people with with TB into sanitariums, and they would stay there for months. And, uh, And so he was there. He found himself lonely, confused, troubled, wondering, you know, he went to India to share the gospel, and now he's stuck with tuberculosis in this, uh, in this sanitarium. He had a few tracts of the gospel in the, the native language, which was Parsi, and he could give them out. But nobody wanted to take his tracts. Nobody wanted his, his, his stuff. And Well, one night, he woke up about 2 in the morning. He was coughing violently. He could hardly breathe. And uh, once he finally stopped coughing, he looks across uh, where his bed was, and there was a there was a just a very feeble, emaciated old man uh, across the aisle, and he was trying to get out of bed, um, but he was so weak he actually couldn't stand up. Well, uh, Doug, you know, he was himself not feeling great, and he kind of falls back to sleep. Everybody goes back to sleep. Anyway, in the morning, uh, he realized that the man was trying to get up out of bed to go to the bathroom. Well you couldn't get up out of bed you could imagine the stench that took over uh, that room and uh, so the other patients were angry at this old man Uh, the nurse came and cleaned him up and then actually slapped the man uh, for not being able to uh, to you know obviously take care of things and so the next night Doug wakes up again and then he sees the old man trying to get up out of bed And so Doug doesn't fall back asleep this time. He walks over and he picks the man up and he takes him uh, to what they termed a toilet, which was basically a hole in the ground, uh, and, and then brought him back to bed and they all slept. The next morning he wakes up he wakes up to a, a, a hot cup of tea beside his bed. That, was, that one of the other patients in, uh, in that sanitarium had made for him because he noticed what he did for this old man. And he came up, the guy who made the tea, and he said, I, I, I'll take one of your tracks. And then for the next day, every patient nearly in that place came and asked for one of those tracks that he had the gospel written in their language for. God equips us to do his will And why does he do it? The last phrase, to him or to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God equip you to do his will for his glory. And in that, we will find life. Let's pray. God, would you uh, be in our midst? And um, Father, would you uh, be one who uh, is at work in us? God, I don't pray that flippantly, though at times I assume your power. Father, I pray that you would come in with the power that is needed to raise the dead. Would you transform us? Would you equip us? Would you build us up in the gospel? God, that we might do your will, that we might, uh, that you would work in us according to your good pleasure. Father, that you would be glorified. Thank you, God, for this book Thank you for your word. I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts. God, transform us. We pray that you would do that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.